Okie dokie. Oh. A podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the gospel narrative. This is Gospels Part 61. Last week we wrapped up the story with the Gentile woman from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Jesus was amazed by her persistence in her faith to, in some ways, acknowledge and accept this role that Jesus has with the Jewish people within his ministry going to them first before the message gets sent out to the rest of the nations. Um, But still wanting, like she still wanted to be a part of the story and be able to experience this aspect of the kingdom through Jesus's life and his miraculous dealings with the public. And he, he gave that to her credit, which is awesome. Um, And so he, and then the disciples left there and wound up being in the still in the same region where the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons was it's really interesting that we see the growth potentially on account of that guy taking the message to his fellow countrymen because there were 4000 plus in Jesus's area and we wound up seeing another feeding of multitudes it yeah. seemed like deja vu but it actually wasn't and we looked into some of the details of that feeding and how it alludes to completeness fullness and the inclusion of the gentile people yeah. first there was the feeding of the multitudes of the jewish people and then that message goes from the jews to the rest of the world the gentiles yeah yeah and such a neat uh underlying theme that had to do with the gospel message of the kingdom itself, and then, of course, the the wisdom, the teaching, the instruction, the Torah, when you get down to it, that's underneath or behind all of that. It's a great image, great image. Now, see, that's all cool, but then we are, like, totally switching gears. And you remember the last thing we did was cross the Sea of Galilee, and, and we just keep going, just flying all over the place now. It's a very busy part of the, the story. Uh, So let's pick up on Matthew 16, verses 1 through 4. This is uh, also Mark 8, verses 11 through 13. And I'm going to read Matthew. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. And I do want to read a little bit out of Mark, just uh, verse 12 from Mark 8, because he says something very interesting in here we're going to touch on. It's, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. 
So that's going to be important. But anyway, let's see what the heck's going on here. Let me first just say really quickly, I've definitely, I definitely recall verse four about the sign of Jonah, but if you, like, you just read verses one through three, and I could be honest, I'd feel like I have never heard that story before about Jesus <laughs> talking about, like, the way that the sky looks in terms of a sign. That That's just so weird. Yeah. In my mind, it doesn't clasp onto that, but it does verse four, so. Anyways. You know what? I think everybody has that experience. Be reading along in your Bible things you think you, you've read this so many times, and all of a sudden there's like, where'd that come from? So yeah, totally get it. And what you're going to notice, remember they asked for a sign from heaven? And then he keeps talking about stuff that they're seeing in the sky. Mm-hmm. Sky, heaven, it's it's the same word. It's the same. So that's going to be cool. We'll talk about that in a minute. So you got these Pharisees and Sadducees. They show up and they are wanting to see a sign. They want a sign from heaven, something that proves... I guess on one hand, that his words are true and and something that would validate who he is. And they want to test him. And we've talked about this, Samuel. To test him, that's that's their right. And we would go even further and say, well, I mean, honestly, it's their responsibility. This, This is something they need to be doing. However, the question is, what's their real motive? Are they trying to prove him? like in a, in a positive sense, or are they really only just trying to disprove him? And so you can do things, and, and we would call them presumably right things, but when they're coming from the wrong motive, these things can actually become wrong. So right actions become wrong actions with the wrong motive. Here's just a little life lesson for you. But these leaders of Israel... I mean, to be fair, they already had sufficient evidence. I mean, Jesus's life, generally speaking, and especially these last couple of years, uh, they they really didn't need any more proof, even even proof from heaven. But, and here's what we were talking about, Jesus kind of craftily uses examples of how they customarily interpret the weather from the signs in the sky, and again, that sky is the heavens in, in, in Hebrew, okay, not so much in Greek, but in Hebrew, they, they are the same word, like literally the same word. But they can, they can interpret those signs, but they can't see the heavenly or the sky signs of the times. And those things are like God's salvation, God's redemption, God's Messiah. It's all right under their noses, but they can't see it. So like the weather, Jesus is kind of busting their chops and saying, hey, if you can figure out the weather, you should have been able to see if Israel's future was fair or stormy. It's kind of like the modern day equivalent of someone saying, man, I don't know what the weather is going to be like today. And they walk outside and it's raining, but they have a smartphone with a weather app that could, you know, tell yeah. them. And <laughs> it, it's like, it's obvious, but they somehow, there's a disconnect there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's pointing out to them. It's, uh, I mean, this is just normal human practical stuff. And then, okay, so back to that thing I read from Mark, 
where he sighed deeply in his spirit. I, I don't know if you remember this, Samuel. It was pretty recent, either last episode, maybe the one right before, where it said that Jesus sighed. Mm-hmm. He was trying to heal that guy. And we talked about how, well, let, let's do this. This word that they're using here, the one where it says that he sighed deeply in his spirit. Now, this, this is a word. It's related to the Greek word for just a regular sigh, like we talked about before. But this particular word, this is funny. It's used only right here in the New Testament. It exists one time right here. And the thing is, this this kind of sighing, it's a little bit different. It's conveying uh, some exasperation and some indignation and and, uh, even, even grief, maybe more than anything, grief. And so remember we talked about that first sigh, it was kind of like a uh, commiserating or an empathy with the state of humans, pain, suffering, etc. This sigh, it's more like a disappointment with the state of humans. And maybe not all humans, but most specifically the ones that he's dealing with right at this moment. And we see the, the stubbornness and the hard hearts and all of that. So he, <laughs> he sighs deeply and then he just refuses to give them a sign. At least not another one right here at this moment. I mean, his life will, of course, continue being a sign if if they would ever be willing to see it. But Jesus calls the entire generation evil and adulterous. These are pretty harsh words. And again, Samuel, are we to take this literally that it is, in fact, the entire generation? Don't believe so. No, that that's that doesn't make sense. I mean, we've read all kinds of stuff. We know that's not true, but it's it's the 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 exaggeration, the the hyperbole, whatever you want to call it, to get across the idea, right? This this is rampant. Too way too many of you are evil and adulterous, meaning they they are being unfaithful to God. So uh, he Jesus had many sincere followers. The leadership in Israel, however, especially the leadership, uh, some large portion of the Jewish people, because we know, I mean, many did follow Jesus, but there's nowhere near everybody. They didn't recognize that he was the promised Messiah. And because of that, they didn't repent. The very thing that he was calling for, that was his gospel message. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. They didn't see the kingdom. They didn't seek the kingdom. They didn't see him as king. They didn't have, you know, sort of a a new or renewed vigor for righteousness. They had refused to see everything up to this point, and so Jesus is kind of saying, you know what, one more sign ain't going to do it. It's not going to help. But then he does add, okay, so I may not give you a new sign, but technically there's a sign that's already there for you, And he says, I won't give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. So now we've got to figure out, well, what was that? What was that sign about? Now, Samuel, have you heard any common stories about what's the sign of Jonah? I feel like the most common one within Western church world is the sign of going down into the depths for three days and then... yeah coming out like a form of resurrection being yep. spit out uh, resulting in life it's it's his resurrection that's the sign yeah i'm so glad you picked that one because that's the one i was waiting for and it, the thing is i mean can we just be honest 
That's a cool image. Yeah. Three days in the belly of the fish, three days in the grave, the coming out. Of, I mean, yeah, okay, that's awesome. But I don't think that's really what he's talking about here. And, and if, if even if it is, there's way more to it than that. Because, I mean, how would they possibly understand that? How could that be assigned to them? Mm-mm. They don't know anything about him being in the grave three days or any of that. that, that that's, that's later. It's anachronistic. So was there something about the Jonah story that they could actually understand right at this moment? Something that might even kind of wake them up to the truth of the situation. So think about where he went, Samuel. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. And do you remember what Nineveh was the capital city of? Wasn't it Babylon? Oh! Ooh, so close. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Assyria? Yes. Okay. Assyria, yeah. And they were a true enemy of Israel. So here's Jonah, a prophet, going to the Assyrians, and not just to the Assyrians, to the capital city, which was huge, by the way. And Jonah... Didn't want to go. And that's a whole nother story. Maybe one day we'll go over Jonah, but whatever. When he finally obeyed and he spoke God's message to the people of Nineveh, and I don't know if you remember, but he was pretty pouty about it. He's kind of petulant, if we could say that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he did it, and their response was immediate and great. It was sackcloth and ashes for everyone, even the king. Why stop there? Even the animals. I mean, they really went out. They truly humbled themselves before this God of Israel. And God relented from his destruction. And so, maybe Jesus' point is simply to say, Israel, you, leaders of Israel, uh, all the rest of you that aren't really responding, I mean, if I had gone to Nineveh, they would have responded way better than you. I mean, here they are. They've got the Messiah, the actual Messiah in their midst, and they aren't buying it. They aren't seeing it. They aren't anything. So he picks an example of a foreign nation, no real relation and understanding to God and how quickly they responded. So I kind of think that's what he's going for here. But they get to the end of that and Jesus and his disciples, well, surprise, they head over to the other side of the Galilee. And I mean, if you've got motion sickness, (laughs) you need to be taking your Wachima stuff because... (laughs) Motrin. uh, Yeah, you're going to be getting dizzy. I don't think it's Motrin. What the heck's that stuff called? Dramamine. (laughs) Dramamine. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, I work in the pharmaceutical industry and I don't even know what's going on. That's okay. Oh, man. Um, I wanted to do a quick plug really quickly. We've talked about him multiple times in our podcast, but Tim Mackey, great resource. Um, he has a podcast called Exploring My Strange Bible. And he has a whole series where he goes through the book of Jonah and he relates a lot of these things that we're not going to get into now to Jesus' comments about the sign of Jonah. Really good. It totally opened my eyes when I think about Jonah as a prophet 
like called by God whenever I see his personality and his reactions and like he wasn't yeah. the greatest prophet like no. I'll just say that like it's weird how the church like brushes some of his rougher edges a little bit more smoothly than what the the Jewish narrative gives him so yeah there's that plug and real quick Paul I, I kind of want to get a little New Testament midrashic Ooh, uh, go. for a minute so I, I just think it's interesting that this is now kind of like the second time that at least in our attempt to go through the gospels chronologically that we've seen Jesus give off this emotion whether it's I don't want to say frustration like exhaustion exasperation uh, grief and um, I, I know a lot of people paint Jesus as like this super stoic you know, God goggles on that kind of thing and wasn't affected by anything because he was God. But if we go all the way back to our teaching of his testing in the wilderness, we should be reminded that he had every opportunity to choose his own will rather than God's. Uh, Like he had his own agency at play here. And so my question is, I wonder as... His story is getting closer and closer to culmination of like his death, crucifixion, and everything. If if those feelings, those emotions that he's experiencing right here in the story, if if they are beginning to increase, and that and maybe that's why in in the garden we see him sweating almost to the point of blood, like the weight of everything yeah. that he's experiencing with his people, the nation that he hoped would take the keys of the kingdom and open the doors for the whole world, you know, throwing it aside. I just, I just have to speculate whether things are starting to get more difficult for him as the end gets nearer. Yeah, boy, I sure think so. And this, this also relates to what we've been telling all along. We're saying, Hey, we are in no way denying his divinity. But what we are saying is, He's not walking around here as God. He's walking around here as a man. He has self-limited the God part of him while he is here. And so any way that you can imagine any other human being affected by this and the way they might respond to this, I think he is experiencing the exact same thing. So yeah, I think he's going to get just a little more tired and just a little more testy and just a little more everything. Because this is hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about how bad his, you know, death and, and, and all the stuff with the cross, how bad that was. Okay, it, yeah, it was. Hey, his ministry is just life-sucking hard. It's just, it's, it's rough. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. We need to see it. We need to get in tune with that. Recognize what this guy's doing because... There is a measure of that for us when we lay down our life and try to live his life, you know, as a disciple, some of that, that, that's, that's our future. Yeah. That, that's our way. So, oh, it's a big deal. It shouldn't be a discouragement to us. Um, No. There, there's some, I, I, I'm butchering it, but there's some verse in Hebrews down the road where it says he was 
tested in every way that we were so that we might relate to him, um, like so that we could have a high priest that's relatable, that kind yeah. of thing. So yeah, it, sh- it should show us that when we f- are feeling those exasperations, those griefs and everything, it's like the son of God, the son of man did too. But the important thing is like persevering, like not letting that be the end of your story, but finding the hope and the way to continue to move and take a step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, such a cool image. Such a cool image. And I mean, you know, it's that thing of inside you feel like, oh man, I'm fired up. I'm going to go for it. And at the same time, it's like, oh man, I'm overwhelmed. I don't even know how I'm going to do anything. Ah! (laughs) Homer Simpson. (laughs) Dope. That's right. That's right. Well, okay. So, so we, we had, we got that little story which, I don't know, it's kind of all alone by itself. Uh, this next one, though, is very interesting because it's going to bring back in some stories that we've just finished. So let's go on and look at this. We're in Matthew chapter 16, looking at verses 5 through 12. This is also Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 21. I'm going to read from Matthew. Here we go. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Hmm. We might be feeling pretty thankful that Matthew sort of interpreted this for us, right? But there's a couple little bits from the Mark version I wanted to read. Uh, And this is is when he's kind of busting their chops a little bit. You know, do you not perceive or what did that kind of stuff? In a section in, uh, let's see, verses 17 and 18, uh, it, it has this. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So it's great because I don't know if you heard it. Those are phrases we've heard in stories previously. So it's really, Mark's doing some really cool work in there. So. Anyway, let's talk about some of these things, because there's a ton to talk about. So he has this little dust up with the religious leaders, and then they cross the Sea of Galilee again. And I mean, at this point, it's hard to even know where they are, but you know, they're going from one area to another area, whatever that means. And the disciples notice something. Uh Uh-oh, we forgot to bring any bread. Now, They, at that moment, they might have been thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we should have planned better, or you never know. 
they might have been just sort of wondering, hey, is is Jesus going to keep up this whole feeding thing that he's been doing whenever we need it? Right? I mean, after all, Mark mentioned, we didn't read it, but he mentioned that they had one loaf, so maybe there was something to multiply there. I don't know. Well, wherever the disciples' thoughts are, Jesus' thoughts seem to be back at Magadan or Dalmanutha, whatever, whichever you want to believe there. But Jesus speaks, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And and the disciples' heads, you know, kind of start spinning a little bit. I mean, what exactly does he mean? Now, here on the podcast, we've tried to do a lot of work to set all of this up for you, to prepare you for this moment so that you can see it. But for these poor disciples, I mean, you know what it's like. You know, like when you've got your head in one space and somebody starts talking about something that's, you know, it's pretty much outside that space, but you are stuck where you are, and so you're trying to cram whatever it is they're talking about into your current space, whether it fits or not. And so that's what they're doing. They don't understand what he's talking about at all. They're thinking about bread. He said something about leaven. Boom. Or what is that? Bada boom, bada bing, right? (laughs) So they figure that he must be upset too because they didn't plan ahead. They didn't bring any food. Now, sometimes I get almost surprised, disturbed by things like this. But I have to say this out loud, this little phrase right at the end, uh, do not be uh, beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is not a warning against practicing Judaism. Some people actually read that, that's what they think it is. In context, that is completely absurd. It's simply not in view here at all. But I had to say that out loud because, I don't know, some people might be thinking it. He, we're going to continue talking about it, but just know it's, that's not what's going on here. So, so this is going on, you know, they're thinking about bread. He's saying, hey, beware of the leaven. And so now Jesus seems a little perturbed and he pulls out, you know, I don't know, these feel like kind of harsh, whatever. You of little faith, do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you not remember? Do you have eyes that don't see and ears that don't hear? Whew. This whole generation was hearing and not understanding, but come on, not these guys. They were the ones who were supposed to, you know, get it. And so Jesus is a little bugged. And now I got to say this, this is the second time that Mark has included something about hard hearts, specifically talking about the disciples. Remember, we talked about hard hearts being like Pharaoh. And also interesting, both times Mark brings it up, it's following big multitude feeding events. So, you know, just put that in your little gears in your head and work on that one a while. But Jesus goes ahead and and he offers this explanation. So, So they're not getting what he's talking about. And so he offers the explanation. He reminds them, of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. He reminds them specifically of the numbers, 5 and 12 and 4 and 7. Now, whether they already understood it or they were only just now seeing it for the first time, they now knew that those miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, they were related and that those miracles together 
represented something more than, let's call it, the simple allusion to abundance of the kingdom. They definitely did that, but it was more. So together they represented, and we talked about it, the fulfillment of God's plan. And so this message of the kingdom about repentance and and all of the other teaching and the instruction, the gospel, we would call it. Okay, it was for Israel and it was for all nations. God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And so then Matthew ultimately provides the very same explanation. And so after two great miracles of, you know, provision, I mean, just logically thinking about it, okay, we can't really be worried about having enough bread at this moment, can we? I mean, that's kind of silly. And so it must be something else, like teaching and instruction, which is exactly what Matthew explains. If you have somehow misunderstood what someone is saying because you're trying to take what they're saying literally, like leaven, which has to do with bread, well, if you know you've misunderstood, well, then you need to sort of back off and maybe look toward the symbolic meanings. Now, that alone might get you from leaven to, you know, teaching, maybe, maybe not. But in recounting these two stories, the symbolism within them would have made the whole thing super clear, abundantly clear. And so these these wonderful literal miracles were in the plain sense, about the kingdom, about abundance, about the banquet for Jews and for Gentiles, but they were also about the spreading of the gospel, the news of the kingdom and her king, the Torah. Jesus is expounding on the Torah for the Jew first and also the Greek or the Gentiles or the nations. So the instruction was, hey, don't let the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which is going to represent Uh, doubt or misunderstanding or hard hearts or corruption or hypocrisy or just bad teaching, everything that they were saying that was opposed to Jesus's words or the Torah, God's words, whatever, they, they, they shouldn't let that leaven get in and ruin stuff. Now, we know that leaven often represents sin. That's not the case here. That doesn't, I mean, I guess it could fit, but It doesn't seem appropriate for the context. It's all the things that we just talked about. And so, again, this leaven of the Pharisees, okay, it's not a warning against practicing Judaism. I don't know. Felt felt like I had to say it again. But a lot of stuff in there, Samuel. Got your brain clicking on anything? Um, A couple things, I guess. Um, The first is, and I hope it's, happening to people who are listening with us and have been for a while now I try my darndest to give the disciples every benefit of the doubt possible (laughs) in situations rather than just looking at them as like buffoons who don't know anything and so (laughs) I'm just trying to put myself in them in their shoes like yes they absolutely more than likely knew their texts because they were living in first century Judaism and the Torah and the text and the narrative of God was everything in their culture. So like, I'm not taking that away from them. I'm just thinking 
it had and well and then let's go rewind just a minute and think about their potential age like peter definitely probably was the oldest but there could have been some of these disciples that were still like 12 13 maybe i don't know so all of this had to feel so overwhelming like if i was that age and i see my rabbi talking about being the bread of life and eating of his flesh drinking of his blood to you know bread being involved in the feeding of multiple multiple thousands of people like i'm and the, the way that a rabbi works and like how sometimes they take unorthodox ways to be able to bring a truth to light yeah i i'm not saying i did I definitely don't disagree with Jesus' criticism of them, but I guess I relate to the disciples like struggling in that particular moment. Like, does Jesus want us to be talking about like something literal here, or is he <laughs> meaning like, figurative? And then they made a decision, and it was wrong, of course. But yeah, I don't know. I I hope that it's softening for people because it is for me. Because I, I I can only imagine how tough it was in the moment for them. Yeah. I uh I hope that by you know really slowing down the way we do and and very carefully walking our way through all the scriptures and just getting a chance to really experience everything that's being said and the consequences and all that I hope people do have a real admiration for the disciples as wrong as they may be and as often as they may be wrong whatever man they this is just a tall order Mm-hmm. It's 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 a big deal. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Samuel. It's uh, d- definitely try to get in touch with with their humanity as well. Mm-hmm. If I was there, I'm quite certain I would have been like the biggest idiot of them all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't poop on yourself. <laughs> I just, I just. Uh, it's so easy to look back and it's like, man, those guys, why don't they get it? It's just different. Got to give yeah. them room. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to, I guess it's a question kind of, um, while we were going through this section, one of the questions that was coming up in my mind was, well, what is it? What are the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus is referencing? And here at the end, you mentioned like, doubt, misunderstanding, hardness of heart, corruption, basically anything that is opposed to Jesus's words. But I guess maybe my mind is like fixating on a couple of them that feel less harsh than others, but specifically doubt and misunderstanding, like especially within rabbinic thought, like when there is confusion, like the 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 teacher and the student both say this is a difficulty and then they work yeah. to trying to find the answer so that at the end they can say there is no difficulty here. And then with doubt, if you fast forward to the end of Matthew, I'm, 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 you might as well just nickname me the king of spoilers. So um, <laughs> whenever, right before the Great Commission, whenever he sends them out to go to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, um, it the text says that they worshipped him, but some still doubted. And it's it's just really interesting that even within that moment of, amongst his disciples, you had like elation, worship, praise, and you also had 
doubt at the same time. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate for doubting, but I know it's a struggle for a lot of people, including myself in certain seasons of life. So sure. I just wonder if these are de- like describing a different type of doubt and a different type of misunderstanding that is less on the wrestling of a person in the life of faith and more like automatic, um, skepticism or automatics, whatever that person says yeah, there, there, there's some type of incorrectness there because of just who that person is. Yeah, like they've got some preconceived ideas, they've got some walls up, they're not really willing to receive or hear or whatever. And think about it, that's some of what we've talked about. It wasn't that they were unable to hear and unable to see, it's that they did not want to. Remember, we, we were, mm-hmm. can't remember the the scripture reference right off the top of my head, but we talked about seeing it in the Old Testament, and we saw it here. Jesus was accusing them here. Also with the Pharisees, you know, we've talked about this idea of they, they, were, they were so, so careful about every single letter of the law. Sadducees weren't, the Pharisees were. And yet, for all of that, they seem to have completely missed the point of the law or the end goal of the law. And with the Sadducees, I mean, they didn't even they didn't even accept most of the things that the Pharisees did regarding the uh, spiritual realm, angels, the, the fact that there could be uh, life after death, resurrection, any of those. They didn't, rec- they didn't recognize any of that. So, I mean, in all of it, I think it's, if we could maybe use different words, we could say, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, what is that leaven? Well, it's unbelief. And that, that unbelief manifests in, oh, it's sure, they didn't believe Jesus was a Messiah, but it's so much more than that. They didn't believe so much about what God was actually saying and doing in and through his people, and in and through his Torah, and in and through his Messiah, and all of that. I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a really good answer to your question. I'm only expressing, I don't know, this is what I think about, but I I, I don't know. Good question, Samuel. Yeah, I'm, I, mean, I think what you said helps. I just, I wanted to, I know for most people, it probably sounds silly, elementary, me bringing it up, but I just... I wanted to address it for those people who hear this and potentially say, oh man, I've got doubts in my life, or oh man, I've got misunderstandings about this whole narrative that I'm trying to figure out. I've got the leaven of the Pharisees inside oh. of me. Like, no, it's it's not that. Like, if if your Definitely. inclination is, is towards God and you're still stumbling along, like, there there's a lot of grace there for you. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that I'm so glad you said it that way. Now I totally get where you're headed. And yeah, you're right. Don't don't be beating yourself up. What is that we've always talked about? It's the difference between condemnation and conviction. They they can feel very much the same like inside, inside us. But condemnation is like something that is defeating, something that is tearing you down, something that's beating you up, that kind of thing. Conviction is something that's actually motivating you 
to something higher. It's 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 pushing you upward. It's actually lifting you up, mm-hmm. even though it it begins with something that we might interpret as negative or whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Let these things be convicting, not condemning. So mm-hmm. it's good. All right. Well, where are we at? What are we doing here? We uh. So they're ignoring the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mark chapter eight verses twenty two to twenty six. And that's it. He's the only guy telling this story. So here we go. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Okay, it's a cool little story, I guess. If this is ringing a bell, you probably have a guess as to who spoiled it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> All right, so here they are. They enter Bethsaida. At least we know where they are. That's always a good thing. And some people bring Jesus, a blind man, and I mean, underst- hey, understandably, please heal him. So, Jesus takes him outside the village. Why? (laughs) Well, we don't know, but I I guess in line with everything we've seen, he's just trying to keep it private or quiet or something, right? So still, you got to wonder, wouldn't the people have followed? Uh, Maybe, maybe not, but at least the way the story is told, apparently not. I don't know what's up with that. But then, check this out. Jesus spits in his eyes. Isn't that how we start fights, Samuel? Yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> But this is first century Israel. And so spit, saliva, was actually considered to have healing properties. And I mean, honestly, we I we know that it does. They they're they're not completely wrong. I don't know that it had as many healing properties as maybe they thought it did at the time, but you know, whatever. There's something to it. So anyway, he he spits in his eyes and he also lays his hands on him. And then he has to ask. How weird is that? So, uh, is it working? (laughs) I mean, that's weird, right? That doesn't fit any of the stories we've seen before. So uh, this isn't your typical story. And surprisingly, it doesn't even work. Or I guess we could say it only half works or something. Things are fuzzy. People look like trees. And smart aleck me, by the way, how does a blind man know what trees look like? I'm just saying. But it's a weird story. And then, so he he does all these things and it hasn't worked, at least not fully. Jesus has to lay his hands on the man again. And now... (laughs) 
Now he sees clearly. And so, at this point, it's kind of expectedly, he sends the guy straight home, you know, like, hey, don't don't talk to anyone else. Presumably, why? To keep things quiet, because that's that's what he does. But, Samuel, this is a couple stories now where Jesus just kind of seems to be a little bit off of his game. And also weird is that they seem to follow what appear to be some of the biggest, most awesome and amazing miracle stories, right? So it's as if the author, in this case, Mark, wants us to notice these stories, first of all, for being outside the norm, things didn't work as easily as they did in some other spots, and you remember uh, all the detail, we talked about that in an earlier story, we see that again. The thing is, this is a very, very Jewish thing to do. When you're writing and you want people to notice things, what you want them to do is to be shocked or or side of, kind of uh, discombobulated, thrown out of what it feels normal. And if you really pay attention, this is all over your Bible. Very, very common thing. But as I mentioned, Mark is the only guy telling this story. And uh, again, it's another one of those stories with a whole bunch of detail, far more than any of the other healing stories. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you just take it at face value, it appears that Jesus has to work harder than normal to get the result that he wants, to uh, in this case, complete the healing. Now, the other one we were looking at, just for point of reference, it was back in Mark chapter 7, verses 32 to 37. This one here, but but back there we wondered, and not really us, it's scholars, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool idea, that we wonder if the detail here is meant to highlight some symbolic meaning with regard to the disciples. In the first one, we had talked about how, well, it appears that maybe they had often been slow to hear and unable to speak or teach clearly. But it ended up that one day they would understand clearly and, and be able to communicate that. Well, we have a very similar thing here. Remember, they, they had just misunderstood about the leaven of the Pharisees. Maybe that's why the story was there. And and here, it could be that the symbolic meaning that Mark is trying to convey here is that the disciples also have been blind. And with whatever Jesus has been doing with them, for them, teaching them, whatever, they're beginning to see, but things are still fuzzy. Mm. But then you get the end result that, okay, but they will see clearly. And, and I mean, at least we know this happens after the resurrection and Pentecost and all of that. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, that's just such an interesting take on why did Mark all of a sudden start giving detail like this just in a couple, three stories? You know, what's it all about? It may be just all fantasy. I don't know, but it, I, I think there's something cool in there. Yeah, I like that. 
last image that you brought up a whole lot. Um, things being fuzzy right now, but there will be clarity for them later, if not at the end. Um, and isn't that true for all of our lives on this side of things, that there's probably going to be some little hints of fuzziness until we cross that veil and we'll be gifted with, you know, the the answers to everything that we've been seeking and hoping for and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm getting older, Samuel. I can tell you, I'm seeing fuzzy. <laughs> Especially when I'm trying to read stuff. It's getting yeah. bad. <laughs> well, that's actually a good segue for another thing I wanted to bring up in this section is, um, and again, I'm not um, bringing these things up to poke holes within any part of our faith system or the character, the integrity of who Jesus is. I'm simply striving to see him as more relatable uh, within my own life. And so I wonder if there is some sort of, like, I mean, you've mentioned it, if there's some sort of connection here between these seemingly increasing feelings of exasperation, exhaustion, grief, and his quote-unquote relative success in carrying out these miracles with people that he comes across in the public. I'm not saying that this is on account of something to do with his faith in the Father or doubting or anything like that. It, what I'm getting more at is, and it's I'm I'm kind of pulling this a little bit out of context, but I hope it makes sense to people. Paul, the apostle in Galatians, this is um, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, he has this little bit about these two realities in the human life that seem to be at odds with one another, the spirit and the flesh, and he says, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that um, you may not do the things that you please. So, yeah. And, and I'm just saying, like, even with within us right now, like, as human beings in the 21st century, we could be on Team God, have every good intention to, like, want to wake up and do something fervent and dedicated to Him, and you could even go to bed early or whatever and have a decent night's sleep, and then you wake up the next morning and you're just like, gosh, like, why do I feel so exhausted right now? Like... I didn't <laughs> I didn't even do anything to like cause this and I just wake up feeling this like weight on me and so yeah. I Jesus wasn't gifted with his resurrected body yet within this part of his ministry he right. was experiencing the same type of limited nature that we're that we feel every day when we wake up and we experience tiredness and pain and hunger and stress and stuff so I just wonder if that aspect of his fleshly self impeded with the spirit the fullness of the spirit being able to do its work uh within his 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 mission yeah well i know i can't say with any sort of certainty yes or no but i can say well, why not i mean is it is it really crazy to think that jesus's flesh and the spirit within him had a little bit of tension going on sometimes? Is it possible for him to experience that without sinning? Well, of course. Why not? 
So certainly he could experience something like that. And and my reasoning for that, if you want to think about, you know, another way that we see that worked out, think about Jesus when he gets to the garden. You talked about it, sweat and blood, whatever. There is no getting around it. Jesus had a will of his own, and Jesus, in his own will, did not want to go through with the end of the story. But he did it anyway. He had his own will, and his will, in that moment, was not in perfect sync with God, yet he chose God's will over his own. And maybe a similar kind of thing is happening in in some of these instances where his flesh and the spirit are, you know, there's some sort of tension going on, and he he doesn't allow it to have its way, ultimately, but maybe, maybe it manifests in you know, I don't know, a little bit of difficulty or or a little bit of something. I don't know. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's a great question. Yeah. And definitely my goal here is to not to have this feeling or measure of certainty. It's just, I'm all about imagery these days. And it's it's like our own, I've, I've said it earlier in this podcast, it's like our own modern 21st century way of performing midrash on the life and the works of jesus being able to imagine and yeah bring bring the story to life in in as many ways as possible as you can so that it's not the lullaby effect where you read the same thing and it's the same story in the same setting over and over and over again like you don't even know what it's saying do all you can to yeah to to make it alive again yeah no doubt I mean, again, what is our, ultimately, what is our calling as Christians? We are to be like him. We are to be disciples, mere images, clones, if you will. So how do you do that? Well, you gotta find out who he actually was. And if you can relate to him as a human, it, it brings it all into the realm of possibility. If all you imagine Jesus is is just God kind of walking around in a flesh suit, well, you're never going to think that you can relate to that or be anything like him at all. But that's why he wasn't that. I mean, the very purpose becoming human is, like you said in Hebrews, it gives us that, that undeniable relationship. But we get each other, you know? It's, I don't know, it's a great picture. Mm-hmm. Well, sadly, I mean, at least we're not like interrupting a story or anything, but geez, we're done. We got to go. Dang yeah, I feel cheated. <laughs> we should have podcast all day, every day. <laughs> B- believe us, we would, if we had the time and the opportunity, we would, we would want to be leagues and leagues ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. If it could be our life, we'd be all over it. But then, sadly, you got to wonder, would it then be too much? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But seriously, though, we're, we, we've used enough time. We'll, uh, we'll pick up, oh, this next, but Samuel, that's such good stuff. Ah! I like the cliffhanger in anticipation you're giving people. That's, that's good. I yeah. Like that. Yeah, it, it, it is. There's some neat stuff coming up. So anyway. Uh, let's cut this thing off, man. Okie dokie. Oh! Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at the email address okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.